people who do stuff online, who create value in whatever small way it may be, even if you just fix a fucking typo on Wikipedia, you should get paid for it because you're providing value. And right now the system is set up that like all the big ones, Google, Apple, they suck it all up and you work for them for free uh, like a dumb monkey and they... They make you do it by by keeping you entertained and and um, paying you with dopamine. But actually, you're doing work and you're not getting paid for it. Why does there have to be an Uber that can be decentralized? Like we don't need this this company. No one needs that. Like uh, the riders have their own car. We have enough software developers who can do an app like this, open source. So who the fuck needs uh, Uber? No one. Who needs Airbnb? No one. Like, we're doing the ratings. We're doing the commenting. Like, we're basically doing quality control for, for them for free. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sovereign States of Mind, brought to you by a family in paradise. That is my family. We live off-grid in Hawaii. We're working on developing a homestead, trying to become as autonomous as possible and be responsible for our own lives. Our YouTube channel videos are generally lots of fun. Quick, quick, quick. The podcast is a way for us to get deeper into some of these topics. We'll be exploring some of the many principles of personal sovereignty and how we can explore and implement them into our lives, from homesteading to community building and self-reliance to Bitcoin, with some sprinkles of parenting, fitness, authentic relating, and gratitude tossed in the mix. No sponsors as of yet, so let's dive right into this week's conversation. Sovereign states of mind. Sovereignty means that I have the ability to make my own decisions um, and um, choose my own path uh, within the bounds of other people being there also. Mm. And that can be um, like, there's, there's a challenges to sovereignty that come from the outside, but there's also a lot of challenges that come from the inside. I think those might even be bigger, like um, stuff you've absorbed as a child, how you should live or stuff that you've absorbed from your parents, what's possible and what's not possible. Or when you have some some relationship issues, that makes you very unsovereign in a way. And um, so, yeah, sovereignty means to be in charge of all these things. And when you comply, like when you step back, you do it because you accept the boundary and not because you're forced to. Wow. Right. Well, well put. There's a lot to unpack there. Maybe we can go through some of these examples you brought up. You mentioned relationships, uh, relationship issues. I remember reading a little like, how sovereign are you test? And one of the questions is how free are you in your relationship? Uh, are you free to change something on a whim because you want to or to leave it? Or is it much more complicated than that? I was always curious what what am I inside a relationship? Who am I? And for many years, I just kind of went along with who I was, as opposed to who I am in a relationship. And the, there were conflicts. And because I was, mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but I was very dedicated to my own sovereignty. And so that manifested as, oh, I'm not monogamous. But in truth, it was a question of boundaries 
either being respected or not being respected by one party or the other. And that leads me to another thing you mentioned is sometimes it's not about uh, me and my decisions being respected, but it's also sovereignty is also about respecting someone else's decisions and boundaries. Yes, absolutely. Like you, uh, when you know where the line is, then um, you can you can always choose to cross it or not cross it. It's it's uh, it's like that for crime. You know what is a crime and what isn't, and then some people just choose to cross the boundary. And in relationships, it's the same. You know what pisses your partner off. You know where the red line is, and when you decide to cross it. Um, that's you exercising your sovereignty, but when you decide to not cross it from, from a good place, like from, from a place that feels wholesome, then that's also an expression of sovereignty. Mm. Whereas when you decide not to cross this because you're scared, but you actually, you want to cross it, but you don't because you're scared and you don't want to talk about it, then, then you're not sovereign in either direction. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned kind of programming from our parents or from our society. Mm -hmm. So is that hinting at sometimes we're making decisions that are not really our own, but they're just programming? Um, I, I wouldn't say like uh, individual decisions. It's more like your outlook on life is very much informed uh, by, by what you see when you come up. Um mm. Like, for instance, uh, when I, I have the example, my mom, I grew up with my mom and she doesn't have a driver's license. And um, I made my I got my license really late because it's just not in my in my reality that my family has a license. Oh, and, interesting. Um, like like shifting like i i just always identify with uh with the fact of not having a license yeah my friends can drive of course but i can drive because it's expensive and we don't have the money for it and mm -hmm. um and my mom doesn't have a license and shifting that and making the license uh was uh interesting like there was something there like so there was the the objective challenges of driving a stick and doing like learning all the rules and learning how to drive but there was also like some sort of shift small mind you but still of who am i like what kind of person am i and before i was a person who doesn't drive and now i'm a person who does drive and there was there's something like and this is what i mean by by programming i don't mean that someone tells you this and that um you have to do and then you just do it. It's more um, unconscious things that you pick up and that you just reproduce. Um, Narrative. Also, like a lot of people in their 20s, they say, I don't want to be like my parents. My parents uh, suck because blah, 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 blah. And then when they enter their 30s, they start getting like their parents. And they don't even realize it be because it's just... Um, like they've seen their parents in their thirties and they have no idea what a 30 year old is. So they, they take the first example that they have and that's their parents and they start emulating subconsciously certain, certain traits, like how does a 30 year old carry themselves? How, how do they talk to their children? And, um, 
you're you're not a blank slate with that you know like your your brain looks for something like some some sort of guidance and then um the guidance that you do have or your parents and if you don't pay attention you'll become just like them yeah my dad and i laugh because of well i i was kind of harshly critical for a few years in my 20s about how he lived his life because i had disagreements and then now as i get into my mid-30s and i have a family now i'm starting to see more and more uh why why he lives and lived the way he does and i have a lot more i guess understanding and respect for that now <laughs> yeah well it's normal like it's it's not something that a 20 year old should be like oh my god this 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 can't happen to me it's just the the flow of of nature it's it's a challenge for you in your 30s or 40s when you realize oh wow i i have developed certain traits that i really didn't like about my parents and then then you have the chance to change but you cannot do that when you're 20 because right. it's not it's not the time and you know we have phases in life and sometimes those transitions yeah. the transitions between phases can be very extreme especially in your 20s <laughs> the transition mm -hmm. from 20s to 30s i would say for me was pretty extreme like who i am now versus who i was 10 years ago very yeah. different characters uh same same values in a lot of ways same me but a different expression yeah. of that me so I think it's important to note you're in you're in Berlin uh, and that is probably uh, did you grow up in Berlin? Is that why you didn't have a driver's license or yep. were you in a village? Yeah. So it's much more common in uh, Europe in general, I guess, to not be a driver. Well, at least in the big cities, like you don't really need it here. And it costs a lot of money to make it like it costs me now 2200 euros just for the license. And then you have to get a car. Back in the day, there was no ride share, nothing. Um, and yeah, you make your license and then what? You have a license, but you don't have a car. So, um, <laughs> and then when you have a car, okay, you don't have a place to park it and you need insurance and you're a young driver and it's really expensive to get insurance for a young driver here. Um, Is that app still around? I remember using it in Vienna. I think it's called Zipcar or something. Maybe in the U.S. it's called uh -huh. Zipcar. But uh -huh. you, there's like cars all over town, and you just go scan the code in the car, and if you you registered to rent it, then you can open it up and you can drive it, you can park it wherever, and then you leave it wherever you want. You have that in Berlin? Uh, we have that. It's it's called Miles. Miles. And yeah, there were several actually, but they uh, they bought up the competition, and now I think they consolidated into one big company. And is that an alternative these days to owning your own car? Absolutely. Like there's many, 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 many cars around town, so you'll never have a problem finding <laughs> one. And their service area is pretty big, so it's not like only the super touristy hotspots. It's like it's a it's a good um, it's a good amount of places you can go and just leave it there and um yeah it's absolutely an alternative but but still like it's it's way more expensive than taking the train or the bus or the bike that was my next question so is is are those costs of getting started kind of like a disincentive from disincentivization from the government kind of, or, I mean, the other side to look at it is the incentive is just the train is way cheaper. 
So just take the train. I would say the the one uh, definite incent or disincentive is the tax on gas, um, which is higher than in the states. But getting the license has always been super expensive, even in the eighties. Like before all the oh god, we we need to stop driving cars. I think it's just like this classic german mentality of we need to learn it properly and um it has to cost uh, like it, it takes this and that many hours and then um yeah so i i think this this is something that just grew naturally it's not it's not a, it's not steering people away from taking the license we don't like look we don't even have a speed limit here like right. <laughs> like con considering like we're so like environmentally friendly and concerned and um doing everything we can but this one thing um it, it's just not happening like people want to, to press the pedal to the metal and um that's really really a minor minor thing but still like the the public outcry against it is so strong yeah. but the idea that people would be okay with not owning a car anymore is absurd it's just mm. absurd it's the same like telling people you cannot eat meat it's just not gonna happen like You're right like there's no danger of of that going away um so we'll dispel that notion right away great so I, I would love to bridge that into Bitcoin now. <laughs> so cool. a, a little context, uh, Manu and I met in a group on Telegram where the subject, the theme was reinventing society. How do we transition into more healthy or sustainable or more reasonable solutions or alternatives for our planet? And the thread with the most activity, at least in the beginning when I was there, was uh, about money and how do we how do we transform money and what it means to us and so naturally uh the conversation started around would you say it was bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general that kind of started us off i think more bitcoin because there were some yeah. shit coiners in there or i mean i guess just people that didn't <laughs> people that didn't understand that don't understand. So once we got that out of the way, then you and I were left with kind of the, well, I would say the classic debate, but I guess it's not that classic of a debate because most people that I've met that don't believe in Bitcoin don't understand it. Uh, and people that are against Bitcoin, they simply just don't get it. They haven't done enough research. But as you and I discussed it, I realized, wow, this guy actually really understands Bitcoin. Do you want to do you want to share a bit about your history with Bitcoin? Yeah, um, so I heard about Bitcoin for the first time in 2011 or early 2012 in a tech podcast. Um, one of the biggest German podcasts at the time from, from a hacker collective. And they did a three-hour breakdown of Bitcoin and the stuff that was there before. So they were talking about um electronic money and they discussed all the attempts that had been there before and then they broke down bitcoin how it works the tech and then they um they talked a little bit about the history of bitcoin and at that time to me i already felt like wow 
um i'm kind of late like because <laughs> already then the the time where people were mining in their bed bedroom was almost over like uh by 2012 that was already over yes yes wow. that was over really quickly and and um so that that um tendency to consolidate into more like professionally run enterprises started very early on um so when i heard about it i liked it for for the simplicity of it like it's a yes there's a lot of like programming tech in there that i don't understand necessarily like the cryptography part but the on a on a broader level like how it's designed and the game theory elements it's really elegant like it's really well done uh it's it's really simple and it still works um which good well designed simple things usually do like um it, it's just well a well rounded thing for for what it set out to do um then i Got my first Bitcoin, I think, in 2013 when I was running my uh, my website on donations and someone donated some Bitcoin to me. And um, yeah, then I kind of forgot for a while in 2017 in that bull run. I really didn't care. Like, I don't think I even checked my wallet. And then in the last bull run, I did check my wallet and it was some like that had gone up like a hundredfold um from the donation so it was it was like a 20 bucks donation at the time and now it was 2000 bucks nice. um, or something like that and um so you had never invested in it or anything well yeah i have invested in the in the bull run during the bull run i have bought a whole bunch of coins uh on all kinds of layers and exchanges um but uh that was Invest, mainly not, because not gamble uh it, it, it was gambling yeah. yeah it was like i had no thesis so so it was gambling or it was just just shit investing like aping in mainly because uh my best friend w uh, had a really good nose and he did really well and another friend had an even better nose and he did even better and then at some point i was like fuck this like scared money don't make no money i need to open binance account open kucoin <laughs> account but of course it was the absolute top when i decided to actually like go in and so of course um yeah. All in all, I think I'm break even for now. Um, I haven't sold parts of it um, that I will keep. And I'm, yeah, I'm slowly dollar cost averaging back in. So, okay. So you are, all right. So you believe in Bitcoin enough to be DCAing. Uh, can you can you share what your journey has been with your opinion on Bitcoin uh, since that beginning, those beginning uh, moments in 2012 when you thought this is great for its simplicity? What has it turned into? Uh, and well, I guess 
What I'd really like to get to is what we're talking about in that group, which is what is the marketing narrative mm -hmm. that everyone puts out there and what is the reality you feel is more accurate? Many of the OGs, like the, the um, computer geeks, hacker types, um, they're out of, the, out of the scene. Like they have their Bitcoins, maybe some pay with Bitcoins, but they're not interested in it anymore. And many of the people who know bitcoin since 2011 2012 in berlin at least like from the from the hacker scene they thoroughly dislike uh what they see in the space now and they're very like vocal on twitter against it like um they don't like any of this and the space um, but what about Bitcoin, Bitcoin itself? They're still in Well, it. they say it's failed tech, like it doesn't scale. And uh, Lightning Network is also failed tech. And that's it. So it was it was an interesting, interesting experiment to them, which which isn't over, but it's not going anywhere except um, like doing some boop, boop, uh, some curves, doing some numbers. Um, what about the BlackRock ETF, Manu? Uh, I haven't looked into that very much. I don't really care, to be honest. Um, I think Bitcoin is a fine asset. Like I have zero against Bitcoin as an asset. It's a it's a diversification of our um of the types of assets that we have. The whole crypto sector is so we have real estate, we have stocks, we have metals, we have options, we have whatever else. And now we have a bunch of cryptocurrencies that you can also invest in and um, hold as an asset. And I think it's a fine asset. Like it's especially Bitcoin and also Ethereum. They're big enough. They're not going to go away. Um, like the the there's hundreds of millions of people um invested in them uh the narrative is strong enough to not die out so so new people will always come and it's a nice asset uh and it makes sense if institutions um try to offer that to their customers um what I think it's not and that is one problem that I have with the space right now is a potential world reserve currency um i this is this is my my main issue with the whole like with the whole narrative in the space that um it's inevitable that it'll become the world uh, reserve currency and that's such a good thing because then then we're all free and i think none of this is is true like uh, just none of it let's get into it so you mentioned Lightning right. Network. You mentioned Lightning Network, and maybe we can start there. We don't even have to call it failed technology, but what you mentioned in our chat uh, was made me realize something that I'd been noticing anyway because someone wanted to pay me with a Lightning address, which is like an email address, basically, mm -hmm. and you can send Lightning funds. But I'm not hosting it. It's not my node. I don't even have a lightning node set up because it was too complicated for me to do it and it never worked when I tried. And so in order to receive lightning funds, I have to create this email address with a centralized service provider. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's basically how 
I think a large percentage of Lightning Network transactions are happening these days is not from people running their own Lightning channels. Most of the people are not willing to set up their own node, especially if they're not like transacting huge, huge amounts of Bitcoin every uh, like every day. If you just want to buy a coffee here and there, uh, why would you go through all the hassle if you're not technically like technically inclined? Um, even if you are technically inclined and are willing, it's still, it still can be difficult. I'm saying that from personal, I'm saying that from personal experience. Like, uh, I'm pretty, it's pretty okay running my Bitcoin node, but running the lightning, it's just like, oof. Well, see, there you go. Like the lightning bros always say you could get up your own node. Um, yeah, you can set up your own node in theory. Um, but can you? Do you want to? Um, so, so that's one thing. But another thing is like what I understand about Lightning is the the channel that you transact on has to be funded, and um, funding all these channels is Bitcoin transactions. They have to be paid for, and then if a channel isn't sufficiently funded. Um, the the routing will bounce so there will be a lot of big centralized uh routing routing nodes that have sufficiently large channels uh with funds in them that that i could send for instance uh like two uh two thousand dollars from from here to hawaii um and this is like it, it'll just uh trend towards centralization and and third party custodianship and that's nothing new no one needs that no one wants that the tech doesn't seem to be used that much like okay in el salvador but um why like it, it's lightning is such an old idea it's almost as old as bitcoin and it's still like very niche. Well, let's uh, let's extrapolate on that and the centralization. So, okay, that's Lightning Network. What about just the Bitcoin network itself? Let's talk about hash power and mining. So, Bitcoin network itself, uh, hash power and mining power th- that can scale. Like uh, you can you can set up more miners and more miners and more miners, and hashing will get more difficult, more difficult, more difficult. Uh, like there's we we can cover the entire earth with gpus just for mining and the protocol (laughs) will still work um but there's a limit to the number of transactions that you can have and uh there's no changing that the idea that every person uses the the real bitcoin network for their daily transaction is just, just not happening like it's impossible um and then what about what about nation states if if and when nation states start to play the the Bitcoin mining game, then what happens to the hash power? And uh, well, there's... yeah, that yes, that that is one one thing, uh, one big problem that I have with the narrative that it'll be the world reserve currency is if for some reason, like one country or the United States and the EU or just a, just a couple of big players decide, yeah, let's do this. We'll do it now. Then you have uh, 
a, a state player and the state has an unbelievable amount of resources. So if they don't nationalize or, or buy out all your mining gear um, and say, this is a matter of national security, um, the this state is, owns this your is, equipment. This now. is now the government's mining rig. Um, you you will be compensated, of course. So it's not stolen, but they have to take it. Um, government can do that. Like they can even in the U.S. Like they can mandate oh, yeah. factories to build things they want. And um, by the same token, they could say this is this is uh, public property now. Um, and even if they don't do that, they can just buy up um, all the GPUs or force NVIDIA to produce GPUs just for them. So they set up their own mining farms and those will be much bigger than what the private sector can set up. And then, then, um, then what do we have? We have a bunch of government players with insanely big mining farms no private person and private company can compete with that. Maybe like a conglomerate or BlackRock, I don't know, but it's not going to be significant because uh, government power is always bigger. And then then what's the gain there? Like government has full control of the money. Um, they can also see all the transactions. And right now they can also see all the transactions, but right now they don't really care. But then they will really care. So they can monitor everything. And I don't see how any of this is a good thing for for Bitcoin. Like right now you have Bitcoin. You can do some transactions with Iran if you want to. That'll go away. Like uh, that, is not, that, that is not happening anymore if it's the world reserve currency. So actually, if that happens, everybody loses. So I'm not the Bitcoin maxi to push back on you uh, as some would. But what I, what comes to mind from hearing you say that is, okay, well, what happens if I'm running my own node? Couldn't I still transact with Iran or whoever I want, even if uh, the United States runs a whole bunch of hash power, that unless they 51% fork the whole chain, then I still should be able to transact freely, no? Well, I guess yeah, but um, I think if government wants to, they can they can track where your node is. There can be... they though? I don't know if they can. I mean, all nodes, if you run like an umbrella or something, it's all running through Tor, and then I broadcast as long. Well, I mean, this is all assuming your Bitcoin is not KYC'd. If you have Bitcoin that's not linked to your name, and then I. I connect to my node to broadcast a transaction and then no one knows where that IP address originated. Well, fair enough. I'll give you that. Like, okay, true. It'll not be shut down completely, but um, government will be monitoring um, Bitcoin for sure. Like it will trace addresses. It will. Well, that's going to happen regardless, right? Whether government gets involved or not. Yeah, but right that. now government doesn't really care. Like they they only care if um if You're some not if taxes. some crime is involved. But what everybody is always whining about like the CBDCs which which I'm also against. I don't like it. Um I want my cash. Um I don't like the idea that that government or a private company for that matter 
can shut down my my means of payment like with with money that i own that i earned um rightfully um and they just shut it down for some unrelated reason like i want to buy a coffee and i can't pay because my card is blocked because i have a traffic violation um which has nothing to do with the coffee and and the money in my bank account is is legal i earned it um so i'm against cbdc i don't like the idea but i think um having bitcoin as a reserve currency is it's not quite exactly as much control but it's definitely more control than cash what about the the other issue that we brought up in the group the economy it was regarding uh, it was about how a deflationary currency doesn't have that same liquidity for spurring innovation well a bitcoin maxi would say now this is bullshit of course there will be investment people will always invest and uh it's kind of hard to to debunk that but i think we can settle like there's been plenty of research on uh the periods of time where there was a fixed um reserve currency like gold or or silver or whatever and um what i have heard about this research is that recessions were actually worse and they were more frequent than they are now with the with the fiat money um of course i'm not an economics scholar and there might be other research that says something different but i think we can say that it's at least an open question whether a fixed money supply is really all that great because we've had it in the past and we've gone away from it for a reason. Um, and I don't think the reason was that some elites uh, wanted to own the world. Well, I don't um, know. If, I don't know if fixed money supply is the right term because you can always mine more gold. You can always steal more gold from war, the looting and mm -hmm. war, uh, silver. There's always more silver coming into the economy. So even when countries were on some kind of gold or silver standard, it was never quite fixed. I mean, I, I understand your point, but in the same way that Bitcoin, it's never quite fixed. You know, there's a cap though, and you know that it'll be another 120 years or whatever before we hit that cap, but there's always going to be mm -hmm. a little more trickling in with every block just like a little more gold trickling in with every mining operation that, that strikes strikes it big. But anyway, I, I think the point is, yeah. is like when we, when we live in this debt-based economy uh, that we see now, it's like you have Silicon Valley venture capital uh, firms everywhere, you know, like, let's try that, let's try that, let's try that. And then some good things come from that, right? And we have Twitter now. Exactly. Whatever. Exactly whatever and so like the, this innovation can happen because it's like oh well the worst thing that happens is like we have a loss whereas when you have a deflationary currency like bitcoin which is everything you're like well why would i spend that i'm gonna hang on to that because it's gonna be more valuable in the future just like what you're saying you're dcaing yeah, into an asset it's a matter of risk like whenever you do an investment you're taking risk and for that risk you want return um, like you want at least your money back or even better, more money than you put in. <laughs> and the incentive to do that is right now is inflation. 
like um you have this pressure if i just put my money under my mattress or have it in my bank account um it's gonna lose value so i better invest in something or consume something that's uh government doesn't care if you spend your money on a new 4k tv every two years or if you invest in real estate like as long as you keep it moving um so that's so the crux the, of the argument right there. Inflation keeps the money moving. Well, it, it keeps you uh, trying to invest it somewhere. So you're more willing to take on risk than you would be if you can just let it sit there and it yields you 4% a year. Um, like if you're like, okay, I'm okay with 4% a year. Like, why should I, why should I even take any risk? Then mm then you just let it sit it's it's the same with you see um when when uh the interest rate like the central bank interest rate is low people uh take out or, or institutions take out a lot of loans cheap loans and they take on a lot of risk um because they got the money cheap and if some of it blows up it's it's not a problem um they will refinance or whatever. But once the interest rate goes up, they move towards safer assets like government bonds. Because why should I invest in an overpriced stock when I can just give it to the government and I have a guaranteed 4% return in 10 years? And uh, that is happening every single time. There is a... There is a um, like a peak or or uh like a not recession but just um yeah and uh how do they say this a challenging interest rate environment <laughs> i think that's how they call it a challenging so interest rate as, environment <laughs> as soon as things get like uh risky people move towards safety and with bitcoin it'll be the exact same thing like of course you will have some investment but will it be enough to sustain um to sustain our economies and give everybody jobs if you look at the curve of the world's gdp you will see a crazy crazy like skyrocketing curve that started roughly when we went off the gold standard and the fixed money supply. Mm -hmm. And also the innovation that we've seen in the last hundred years, uh, there was quite a lot of innovation. And I don't know if, if it would be the same under, under a fixed, like, uh, I'm, I'm a lack for words. Like fixed amount um, reserve currency, like Bitcoin. Right. Like if everybody can just hoard and and then uh, get their return, why would I give money to SpaceX? Why would I give money to, uh, right. to Apple? That's the question. So let's loop this around back to sovereignty. Does Bitcoin enable people to be more sovereign over their Absolutely. own? Absolutely. One hundred percent, especially when you know you're holding your keys right in private. Uh, the government can't necessarily take that from you, and I don't. That's yes. probably one of the highest forms of of sovereignty. I mean, I personally don't believe financial sovereignty is uh, as important 
as uh, a lot of people believe. I believe it's very important, but I think if you uh, can get your own water, power, and food from a source that's not the mm -hmm. government, then that might even be more effective in the long run than, than money. However, if you have enough money, you can probably buy whatever you want in any legal or black markets. But that said, Bitcoin, is it the way to hold your savings in a safe way? Is that where you go when things get risky in your government? Um, do you mean in risky in terms of uh, financial markets or risky in terms of um, society? Both. Both. This, is, this is really hard for me to, to like imagine for myself, having grown up in Germany um, <laughs> in the 80s, 90s. That the government rounds up people and takes away private property. Uh, why would they do that? Like for what purpose? Um, would Bitcoin be my my go to asset? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know what I would do then. Like, um, and in in terms of just financial or economic risk, um, like I said earlier, I think Bitcoin is a fine asset. Um, it's it's nice to park some money in it. It's still pretty volatile, so I wouldn't put too much of my of my money in it. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's a good idea to have some, and I like that it exists and that that I can transact with it on occasion <laughs> that's a good yeah that's a good neutral perspective for sure and it's it's nice to share that with someone who's also familiar with uh with the space in general because the space can be i alluded to this in the last episode of the podcast where we kind of have in the bitcoin space all the elements of like a cult of a religion uh, yeah. including like the boogeyman, the bad guy, like the big bad government is out to get you the big bad federal reserve by printing money and Bitcoin's yeah. there to save you. Bitcoin is the savior. Uh, everybody buy Bitcoin. And you know, the people saying this are people with large audiences that all have a lot of money. And invested with in large bags of Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> huge bags of Bitcoin and they just want you to buy more. And so they're creating the FUD. They're creating, well, maybe not FUD. They're creating FOMO. Get it they're now. creating FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, FOMO. That's the term. So they're creating all this in the space. And while it's not necessarily inaccurate or, or straight out untrue, it's just kind of the same notion as religion. It's playing on this human instinct we have where it's like, well, I got to protect myself. I got to protect my family by thinking about the future a bit. I should put everything I have into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty. What, one thing that, that also gives these um, more religious types, maxi types away, in my opinion, is that they dunk on other cryptocurrencies um, and they say all of it is garbage. Um, none of it is legit. And I don't agree with that at all. I don't think the technology is not that unique. Yes, there are some centralized shit coins out there, even some big ones, but there's also people who are really uh, genuinely trying to build a layer that is decentralized and governed by, by the holders and um, that can handle a lot of transactions. 
And I think if you're really that interested in humanity, the future and people being sovereign, you should support that because uh, one thing that I really like about cryptocurrency is the potential that for all the stuff that we do online, we're not getting compensated for it. If I write a review for something, I work for Google for free or I work for Amazon for free. If I... Um, if I go on Duolingo, like people have, do you know Duolingo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so people have put languages. so much time into writing examples there, correcting examples, adding variations of examples. They got nothing for it. And then the, the whole thing IPO, they got nothing. And um, who who got to have all the value that they created? Not them. And I think cryptocurrency is a way to change that. So, so people who do stuff online, who create value in whatever small way it may be, even if you just fix a fucking typo on Wikipedia, um, you should get paid for it because you're providing value. And right now the system is set up that like all the big ones, Google, Apple, they suck it all up and you work for them for free uh, like a dumb monkey. And they, they make you do it by by keeping you entertained and and um, paying you with dopamine. But actually, you're doing work and you're not getting paid for it because there's no infrastructure. Yeah. Like I hate that. <laughs> like why why does there have to be an Uber that can be decentralized? Like we don't need this this company. No one needs that. Like uh, the riders have their own car. Um, we have enough software developers who can do an app like this open source so who the fuck needs uh uber no one and who needs airbnb no one like we're doing everything ourselves pretty much like we're doing the ratings uh we're doing the commenting like we're quality we're basically doing quality control for for them for free and i think that can be different like you interact online you provide some value in some form and you get some transaction I'm I'm glad you brought this up because I first learned about Bitcoin in 2014, beginning of 2014, like at the end of that bull run in 2013. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I heard Andreas Antonopoulos talk about money and how this changes money and people in Africa can have banks now. I'm like, okay, well, I don't really care about this. Like I, at the time of my life, I was just a backpacker traveling all i want to do is travel meet people i didn't want money i liked being broke yeah. i liked playing music in the street uh so i kind of just like put it to the side uh then in 2016 i learned about ethereum and i was like oh this is kind of cool and i had mm -hmm. some old uh shit coins from 2014 and so i converted it into ethereum and i bought the dow tokens ah. and uh right before like a week before the hack or whatever i bought into the dow and i was oh, super God. stoked because i'm like this is cool uh don't yeah. get me wrong about the dow and all that i was just like this is what this technology should be for we yeah. can all build a big global company and we don't need anyone else but ourselves and the technology we don't need a government yes. we don't need regulators we can just fucking do it that to me was so cool. And there's a video on my old YouTube channel of me doing a vlog about it, like right after the hack. And it's funny because back then I was like, I was, I thought it was cool that we hard forked Ethereum. I thought like, yeah, of course we should hard fork Ethereum. Like it got hacked. It's an experiment anyway. Everyone lost money. Like let's fix it. 
And all the Bitcoin maxis are like, what the fuck? You know, like you don't hard fork just to, just to change the old blocks, whatever, whatever. So fast forward and I started a DAO during the last bull run because still to this day, I think DAOs are so incredible. And I th- everything you're saying about Uber, about whatever, like all of, all of these things we use that are currently centralized, big tech, corporate platforms, they can be created in peer-to-peer manners. And, yeah. and the only issue is we don't, we're unable to, and when I say we, I mean the whole crypto space in general, in many cases, there's VC money behind it, which means they dump the token, which means there's fuckery with with the token price and the sales. And when it's grassroots, you know, when it's started up, when it's bootstrapped, like what we tried to do, mm-hmm. you don't have enough money to do the marketing and to do all these things yeah. because your intention is not to dump on people. Your intention is not to make a bunch of money. Your intention is to make a really cool decentralized autonomous organization. And then inevitably, like yeah. like my project did, you run out of money. And I don't want to say we failed, but we basically failed. Uh, maybe in the next bull run, we can pick it up again. But the point is like, we never tried to make a bunch of money. And so we we just kind of fizzled out. And so I think there's well, a lot of yeah. projects with those similar intentions and this technology is there for it. And what do yeah. we see instead? We see a repetition of the same old shit. Exactly. But I, I don't see Michael Saylor like donating to uh, or funding like small crypto startups that are trying to do something innovative. Um well, because people like, like Michael soon, Saylor, they believe that soon there'll be a layer three or whatever <coughs> on Bitcoin. There'll be a new layer that can do all this stuff. That's the narrative, I think. Okay. Okay. Well, where, where's the funding effort? Like, where's the, where's the, where's the bounty? Like, where's the uh, 50 million bounty on, on whoever gets this to work? I don't see anything. It's just talking. Uh, that they're so concerned about humanity and people's freedoms, but they're not doing anything. Like all they're doing is talking up their bags, and um, and it's not like there isn't things you could do to bring the space forward. There's a lot of things you could do to bring the space forward, um, because it's not just lunatics in the space. Like there's a lot of idealistic people in the space. They're just being drowned out um by by bought up youtubers and twitter and um yeah also bitcoin maxis it's ridiculous like everything else is shit going um just to push back on you a little bit I, i mean i think there are efforts and funds to develop new things on bitcoin i think certain tech like i think maybe not strike but i know cash app i know there's there's certain organizations that have a budget Mm. just for just for like grant developer grants and like getting things figured out but i do agree with you in the sense that i don't see a whole lot of like michael saylor shouting out on twitter like hey we need to figure out how to build DAOs on twitter in fact everything Mm -hmm. i've learned in michael saylor he's really into governments and regulation and paying taxes and he doesn't really share the whole crypto ethos uh, he sees Bitcoin more as like this scientific object to study, like like this magnificence of engineering, of physics, and and it's brilliant uh, the way he the way he perceives. But it, he still he still reflects this old generation 
uh, of society where it's like we centralize things because it makes things easier, it keeps things cleaner. Right. And so all this money is going towards Bitcoin development to keep things like in a clean way instead of like funding DAOs on Bitcoin, which could just get screwed over by the SEC because the SEC hasn't changed their stance on anything to do with crypto securities. That would be my response to to that criticism <laughs> of the space. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I um I express it in a weird way. I'm not saying there's no funding. It's just the people that talk a lot usually don't do a lot. Oh like, well, that's in I anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people just talk because they don't they can't do or like for wow. instance, I I don't hear I don't see Jack Dorsey on podcasts a lot or on YouTube or on Twitter. He's just he's, uh, he's doing something. I'm sure he's of busy it. building. Um, yeah, yeah, but he keeps his mouth shut. And other people who just who just talk all the time, um, like Max Kaiser. What has he done? What do you think cringe? of What do you think of what's going on in El Salvador right now? Uh I haven't paid attention. I think. If they, if they, if it's really true what they did with the gang violence, then that's a good thing. And um, I think this is not easy to achieve. I don't know how they did it. If they did it, probably did some dirty deals too. But that's politics. I, like that's. I think they did it. He did it by kind of like you know the benevolent dictator measures. You know, like authoritarian measures. How else do you clean up a country of gangs? <laughs> It's crazy hard. Like, uh, so, so I think whatever is going on, they deserve some respect for this. And I think their whole Bitcoin gamble is just, um, yeah, we're fucked anyway. So we can try something unorthodox and maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. Um, so why not? Like, um, it's interesting neither, they have. Yeah, neither the the people who are pro El Salvador nor the people who are against El Salvador really know what's going on and can really <laughs> tell. But everybody is so sure um, this is not going to end well or this is the best move ever, and it's just it's just a try, and we'll we'll find out in in five years what the outcome is. And yeah. Until then, either you're curious and you look into it or you don't care. But there's no point in trying to convince other people why it's the wrong thing to do. Like, what does that have to do with anybody here? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, they say there's a whole cultural renaissance going on with all the people moving there to be away from the governments that showed their true colors during the COVID stuff and people wanting to be a part of the Bitcoin revolution. That That's the narrative online that I see anyway. We'll see what happens. Well, by doing so. what? By surfing and, and drinking cheap cocktails, they pay with lightning. I don't think that's... Paying with lightning, bro. They're changing the world. <laughs> yeah. One uh, coconut at a time. <laughs> what, what I was considering was going down there to because I'm a filmmaker and I would love to just document it and see the stories and like... I thought, oh, maybe I could make myself a little career down there as being the storyteller of what's going on here. And there's videos now and then that pop up, but I think no consistent. it's I think the whole story itself is too macro, it's too macroeconomic to see right now. And like you said, in five years, 
there might be a good story to tell or there might not. Yeah. Or either way, a failed or successful experiment is probably going to be a good story. It, it, yeah, it definitely be interesting to see like a long term documentary of that follows certain people and then then how it develops. But but right now, what I see is just some some TV team or YouTube channel goes there for two weeks and then um depending on what, what their biases, they talk to this person or that person and they get uh, the sound bites that they want and then they leave. And there's no, <laughs> like, there's no observation. There's no, let, let's go and see and we'll come back every three months and check in with you. And um, we don't know where this documentary is going to go. Um, there's nothing like that. Like everybody has their story that they want to tell finished and then they go and they just collect the material right well that we know of maybe there is a crew down there and we just we'll we'll find out in a yeah. few years yeah well cool thanks a lot for joining me today is there anything you want to shout out or say before we close people find you online mm. somewhere well, if you want to learn German, anybody in your audience, you can check out my website. It's yourdailygerman.com. And um, it's quite funny. And you can also pay in crypto if you want to. Oh, so he does a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I do. it. I Like people from Iran have done it and people from Russia have done it. And I think Oh, because it's an international business, right? People that need to learn German. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. harder to get those payments. And some oh, people just cool. don't have a card or they can get money out of the country. And yeah, so I'm using Bitcoin. <laughs> it's it's not, it, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes it happens and it's always nice. Well, that's a great use case for the technology. That's like the yeah, premiere. That's, that's the yeah. use case. Like that's what <laughs> yeah. it's meant for. So there's like some restrictions on on who you can pay for what and bitcoin does away with these restrictions and right. that's great that's a perfect use case right that's perfect cool yourdailygerman.com yeah thanks manu sovereign states of mind